Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. sin. Who am I to think that I can talk about or even think about proclaiming the majesty of God, the glory of God? And so I tell you this morning, I feel totally inadequate to handle this portion of scripture. I had spent much time in prayer. And with the question I have spent and the more questions I have, the more inadequate I feel to handle this portion of scripture. Artists and architects, skilled craftsmen, have built stunning cathedrals and designed stunning glass windows such as we have. There have been amazing artists and amazing composers, amazing architects, that have tried to capture the transcendence and the glory of God. Who am I to think that for a few moments of time I can capture your imaginations about the majesty of God? The guiding question for peering into God's majesty is in verse 18. To whom will you actually compare God? Or what image will you make equal to Him? Isaiah 40 is one of those watershed chapters. So as we've been going through Isaiah, we've been talking about how God has created a privileged people. He created Israel. What advantage does a Jew have? The Apostle Paul asks, and he's answered, much in every way, for unto them were committed the word of God. So God had a privileged people that he called out to be distinctly different than all the other nations, and nations that were to receive the good news of the gospel. And so Isaiah 40, we, we look at this, comfort, comfort my people. We started with Isaiah 1, he says, I have made you great. I have been your parents, and yet you've been unfaithful. And then we looked at Isaiah 26, there is a city whose maker and builder is God. And they were rejoicing that they had Jerusalem. But then the prophet says, we have an eternal city that we are to be a part of. And then last week we were in Isaiah 29. So Isaiah sees in the 40th chapter a nation that is going to go into exile. They're going to go into exile because of their unfaithfulness. In this one chapter, God comforts his people in exile by promising to show his glory and majesty to him and to the nations of the earth. It was like a time that all hope was being lost. Is there really a future for us? Is the question behind the question. Even in the abundance of their wayward ways, this was not enough to exhaust God's unfailing and unredeeming and redeeming love for his people and for the love of his people. So even though their unfaithfulness had exhausted God, he still had another measure of love for them. 
So let us God reveal his majesty and glory to the nations. And I have three points for you to consider this morning. First of all, the majesty of God is revealed in love. Those are verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is a message of compassion and love to a household of faith, to God's covenant people. So the majesty of God really starts with the love of God. And they were bruised and beaten down people. Exiles are real. Ukraine is real. Moldova is real. Russia is real. There were bruised people in Israel at that time. The Holocaust was real. Persecution of the church is real. Through Isaiah, God had a message of love and comfort for real hurting people. Not only did God have a message, He had a messenger to carry out His message to the people of Jerusalem. Call to her, verse 2 says, that her hardship has been completed. The messenger is to tell the city that God is gracious and will forgive and pardon her sins. Wow! Can you imagine being beaten down and hurt, having no way forward, and a messenger comes by and says, God has something good for you. He loves you. And he has forgiveness for you. And he has compassion for you. And he has comfort for you. He has you to be his privileged people. So the messenger comes and brings that message. The last part of this verse 2 has an unusual expression. Tell her to take from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. So the nations are expressed in the feminine pronoun. It's like the paternity of God, the strength of God, to the weaker vessel, saying, I have something good for you. This expression expresses the abundance of God's pardon and forgiveness. This is like saying, if you need a little forgiveness, take twice as much as you need just to be safe and to be secure. And so, it is a message that you can take a little bit extra. If you've ever been in southeastern Louisiana, they have an expression that's called lanyap. And lanyap is a great thing when you get to dessert. Uh, lanyap means just a little extra. So you get some bread pudding, but then you get a little extra with the bread pudding with it. Or lanyap is when you really mess up and somebody says, I have a little bit extra grace for you. I have a little bit more forgiveness. And lanyap is something extra. It's an unexpected and undeserved kindness. It might be a little extra pudding or it might be a little extra grace. God's love comes in unexpected and undeserved ways. The Apostle Paul said that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think.
That's the lanyap of God, a little extra. Verse 3 of Isaiah 40 speaks of the unexpected way Messiah would come to Israel. There will be a voice calling in the wilderness, clear the way of the Lord in the desert, make straight a highway for our God. And this very verse is what we read in the gospel this morning in Matthew. And in that gospel it says that he would, there would be a voice in the wilderness calling. And we know that voice to be John the baptizer. What is he doing in the Judean wilderness? What was John doing there? He was announcing the arrival of Messiah saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Connected with a kingdom is a king. A king is connected to royalty. And royalty is connected to majesty and splendor. Isaiah is prophesying to the nations that Messiah would come unexpectedly to a virgin mother who knew no man, born on the edge of the Judean desert as God's love gift to the world. That was Bethlehem. And verse 4 describes a dramatic transformation because of Messiah. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low, the steep places become level, the rough place a wide valley. In other words, nothing stands in his way. Wow. So you think of John the baptizer out in the Judean wilderness proclaiming Messiah comes and Jesus comes and nothing stands in his way. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not un, uh, Roman rule, nothing stands in his way. And when he is Lord in your life, nothing stands in his way in your life. What impact would this have upon your life? You might ha ask, how can this possibly happen? And then you might hear this wonderful verse. With God, all things are possible. With God. With God. Verse 5, the promise is given. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed that all flesh will see because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Think of the Christmas story in Acts 2.9. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. That was a promise fulfilled from Isaiah from the 8th century before Messiah came. That night in that place, all flesh saw the glory of the Lord. Leads me to my second point in how the majesty of God is revealed. It's revealed in love, but it's also revealed in flesh. Verses 6 to 9. When God revealed himself to Isaiah, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Isaiah 6 5. Here we have the man Isaiah in a vision, eye to eye with holy God. Such an experience, I would say, woe is me as well. He felt totally unworthy 
until an ember from God's altar touched Isaiah's mouth and then heard, Your sin is forgiven. Wow. The idea of God and flesh coming together to reveal His majesty is the stunning idea of incarnation, of God becoming flesh. So how is God's majesty revealed? It's revealed in love, but it's also revealed in flesh. Earlier Isaiah said, A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So verses 6 and 7 speak of the brevity of life. Verse 6, a voice was saying, You, Isaiah, proclaim. And he said, What shall I proclaim? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is a flower of the field. Verse 7, grass withers, flowers fade. Even when the Spirit of the Lord blows on it, even so, people are like grass. The very temporal. We're just here for a very brief period of time. The Apostle James said that our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then is gone. Verse 8 is the picture of temporal flesh an eternal God coming together. The grass withers, flowers fade. But this is one of the most stellar verses in all of Scripture. But the Word of our God stands up for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. You think about it. Everything else fades and goes away. But God's Word, and the Hebrew text says, literally says, stands up. Stands up for all eternity. And we're invited. The glory of God has been revealed to us in His love and through flesh, through His Word. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father. And this is the good news. Full of grace and truth. Wow. On that starry night, the shepherds in that field saw the glory of God at Messiah's birth. The majesty of God was revealed in Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. Which leads me to my third point. The majesty of God is revealed in His love, in His flesh, but is also revealed in proclamation. Verses 9 through 12. He says, go up to a high mountain. I wonder if verse 9 inspired that Christmas carol, go tell it on a mountain. It says, go to a high mountain, Zion, proclaiming good news with your powerful voice. Rise up, Jerusalem, have no fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Wow. So proclamation. What we do in this temporal flesh, called of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, flawed with Adam, he still reveals his majesty and his glory and his wonder because love outdistances 
all of our shortcomings. What is the good news? We know from this side of the story that the good news is the birth, life, teachings, miracles, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and promised return. We know that's the good news. Isaiah didn't know all of this, but nonetheless, he proclaimed the good news that he did know. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the good news is euangelion. U means good. Angelios is message or messenger. So the good news or the glad tidings or the right news is the gospel. It's where we get evangelical from that word euangelion. In the Hebrew text, the good news word is bizarre. And like we said with the socks, it carries the idea that it brings something good with it. So in the Old Testament, when good news came, it had something that was accompanied by it. So if there was good news of a, of a, of a pregnancy, then what accompanied was a child. If it was good news of a victory, what was accompanied was, was freedom. If there was good news of a crop and a good crop, then prosperity would follow it. And whoever believes the gospel, good things follow it in your life. I love the scripture in Psalms 37, 23. It says, the steps of a good man, a good woman, are ordered to the Lord. And though he fall, he shall not be completely cast down, for the Lord shall uphold him with his hand. And then David said, I have been young and I am now old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And I can testify that I've seen God's goodness go from generation to generation to generation. And that should be our prayer. That we as a congregation will see the good news of the gospel go from generation to generation to generation to generation until Jesus comes. Amen? That is our prayer. That is our heart's desire. The good news of a wedding brings families together. Always something accompanies the good news. If you ever watched professional tennis, and I do, something I like, and you'll see one of the players make a great point. And afterwards they do this fist bump. I did that. I did that. And it's a verse 10 that says, we don't just proclaim the good news, but we pray, proclaim the good news with power. Paul said in Romans 1, 15 and 16, I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 16 and 17. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, for therein it is written, the just shall live by faith. But did you hear that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And there's many a time, and it was interesting that, if you don't know this, but I'm really an evangelist at heart. I love sharing good news. And when we pastored in Madison, Wisconsin, some members and I would go down to the campus of the University of Wisconsin 
They're in Madison. They have a place called Library, Library Mall. And anybody can go down there and say anything they want. So we would go down there and we'd start preaching the gospel. And I would always go down, have my Bible, my belt loop behind me, and I'd hide my Bible. And I'm here, and I would call people out, and I'd say, I'm here to show you the power of God. If anybody wants to see the power of God, I ask that you step out front, and I will show you the power of God. And university campuses are tough places. And uh, I would get three or four people that would step out of the crowd, want to say, see the power of God. I thought other people throw stuff at us. Other people drop their pants and try to urinate on us. But there would always be two or three people that would step out and say, I want, I want you to show me the power of God. And I said, all right, are you ready? And I said, if I show you the power of God, will you touch it? What are you going to do? Yeah? They said, sure. And I reach out back of my... This is the power of God. And I quote them, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. I said, will you touch my Bible? I'm not touching that thing. Every university student said that to me. I will not touch your Bible. But there's other times that I've been on the streets and I work with people who are very disenfranchised, very down on life. I've done the same story. And I said, would you touch my Bible? Yes, I will. And I've been able to lead them to Christ. Because this is the power of God that's been revealed to us. And I don't have to do a fist bump, you know. It takes care of itself. Messiah came the first time in lowliness. The second time he's going to come in power. The majesty of God is displayed in the power of the proclamation of the good news. Verse 6 and 7 speaks of John the Baptist. A voice was saying, You, Hosea, proclaim. And he said, What shall I proclaim? All flesh is grass, and its beauty and its flower of the field. Grass withers, flowers fade. Even the Spirit of the Lord blows it, and every people are like grass. So the majesty of God comes to us in proclamation. It comes to us in flesh. It comes to us in power. But finally, verses 12 through 18, the majesty of God is revealed in questions. Questions and doubt are welcome in the final verses. God is the one who starts with the questions concerning his majesty. Verse 12. Who can measure out the waters of the sea in the hollow of his hand? Is anybody here that can do that? No one. Obviously, no one can do this. But God can. Or, who can measure and determine by the inch the span of the heavens? Think about it. Look up at the starry sky. And by inch, who can measure that total span? totally impossible but God can do that or who can weigh all the dust of the earth on a pair of scales no one can do this but God this is but a little picture of his great majesty verses 13 through 14 have more questions who can weigh the spirit of the Lord 
Or what man is his counsel? Or who can make him known to us? No one can do this. But God the Holy Spirit can. Verse 15 is about political power and hints to the question, how powerful are the nations? For Isaiah's day, Assyria was powerful. And then there was Babylon. In our day, it may be Russia or China or the United States. How powerful are these nations? Verse 15 says, the nations, and I like this expression, are like a drop in the bucket, esteemed as dust on a pair of scales. Inexhaustible is this chapter. Totally inadequate for me to think and explore with you the majesty and the power of God, but yet he still invites us to inquire of him. Verse 17, all nations in the presence of him are nothing. To him, they are no more than emptiness. What a turn of words. How can you compare emptiness? How can you measure emptiness? He says, there's no more than emptiness. Emptiness type multiplied by emptiness is emptiness. Imagine how great our God is. So for a moment as I close, I want you to place yourself in the shoes of the people that Isaiah prophesied to. The majority of them were going to lose everything because they had exchanged the majesty of God for images made by the hands of men. Imagine being at the lowest point of your life and hearing God and his majesty, that His majesty wants to be in your life. All nations in the presence of Him are nothing. To Him they are no more than emptiness. Verse 18, And to whom will you actually compare God? Or what image will you make equal to Him? A number of years ago, and I will close with this, there was a British theologian that came to visit America. He was an Oxford Don, Oxford grad, uh, PhD in ancient languages. His name is Dr. Derek Prince. And the reporters heard that he was coming and they were going to have an impromptu press conference for him when he got off the plane. And one of the reporters asked him, this is, Dr. Prince, can you tell us what you know about God? And it's kind of a setup question to show how ridiculous it would be for him to explain God in an impromptu press conference. Dr. Prince says, God is who he says he is. He does what he says he's going to do. And you can trust him implicitly and explicitly with anything and everything in your life. And then he walked away. That's the majesty of God. And he's invited us to be a part of it. Let's pray.
I just thank you that your word is inexhaustible. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that touched Isaiah and the message that you gave him, he wrote him down. And I thank you, Lord, that you revealed your majesty and your great love for us. You revealed your majesty in the flesh. You revealed your majesty in the questions that you've invited us to ask. And so, Lord, I pray that your majesty would capture us all over again. And you'll find in us a faithful people, privileged to be called the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.